Brian Bogert, welcome to Thinking Bigger with Kevin Feely. Thank you so much for hopping on. Dude, I'm happy to be here. After interacting with you the last couple of times on two of our shows, man, it's just, uh, it's obvious to see there's alignment here and I'm excited to be with you today. Yeah, we connected through uh, David Meltzer. Um, great connection. I know you and David have uh, a show that you guys do together. And then, um, yeah, so, so tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, I'm a husband and father first. I always start there because it's the only thing binary in my world about who I am. My wife and my kids aren't good. Everything else goes away. Uh, beyond that, I would tell you that I'm just very intellectually and emotionally curious to explore the human experience. I'm someone who really studies and pays attention to performance, behavioral patterns. And ultimately, where I now spend a lot of my time is helping people actually identify and move through the things that have been actually keeping them stuck. Uh, you know, one of the areas that I'll just hit on briefly out of the beginning, because a lot of people identify this with my story, is that when I was a little kid, I was run over by a truck, and my left arm was literally severed from my body. It was reattached, 24 surgeries, years of recovery. I always have to honor the woman who was there that day, who is responsible for the fact that I'm here. And that's not just my mother, because she's obviously one of them. But there was a nurse that walked out when this happened. She saw the literal life and limb scenario in front of her and she rushed immediately to action, saved both my life and my limb. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here with you today or I'd be here with you today with a cleaned up stump. Wow. The only reason I bring my story in out of the gate is because I actually wanna just get it out of the way because the reality of it is, is that yes, I have a unique story, but what I want everyone to hear and listen to is that you all have your own unique stories. It doesn't matter about the extremities of our stories. What matters is that we pause long enough to pay attention to the lessons we can extract from our stories. So we become intentional in how do we become apply those moving forward. We all have the ability to do that. And we also all have the ability to tap into the collective wisdom of other people's stories to shorten our own curve to learning. That's incredible. Yeah. And I, I think that learning from other people's stories, and like you said, it doesn't have to be this extreme story of childhood trauma and all of this stuff. You know, I think if, if everybody can understand other people's perspectives and try to put themselves in their shoes, it makes the world a lot more clear. You know, I, I think the, the longer you go on in life, and especially if you have this passion for learning about what makes a human tick, what makes people do, you know, the things that they do yeah. when it comes down to it, you realize that nobody is trying to hurt people typically, right? Typically people most of are, the time, you're right. I think there are some that do, but, but the majority of the time, no, I don't think it's malicious. Yeah. I mean, whether that's try and people don't even know that they're doing it, you know, people, people feel justified. And, and there's, you know, a phrase that I heard, which is, you know, people are doing the best that they're doing with the cards are dealt. And if you were dealt those cards, you'd be doing what they were doing, you know? Um, so yeah, I think, I think empathy is really important to have. Um, I also love human psychology and I just love learning what makes people tick and, uh, you know, do the things they do. So what sort of drove you into this sort of passion? Yeah, so what's funny is I, I had no desire to do this growing up, although it was something that I always thought I would be doing. And so, um, you know, I'll fast forward just a little bit. I spent the next 13 years, I think, really just trying to survive, right? And, and the biggest thing is, is coming from twofold. And I think to your point, it was never malicious, but when I came out of the hospital, I got very used to people asking me what happened to my arm. And I would answer them. I was run over by a truck and my left arm was torn off. 
And immediately they'd pause and they'd turn to my parents for validation, which told me they didn't believe my own truth. Right. So I wasn't seen and understood and I certainly wasn't being connected. And so I got armored up relatively early around the mental toughness side of what the world has told us to do. Because the other thing that I was told and is that every single person started viewing me through their lens yep. of what they thought they'd be capable of in my situation and immediately putting limitations on me. And I refused to be confined by those limitations. So the narrative to protect myself, not realizing that it was armor and I was burying a bunch as a result of it was Brian's good, Brian's strong, Brian's capable, he can do anything himself. And oh, by the way, bro, I did. And I crushed life and I way exceeded expectations for myself and others. But then when I'm snowboarding, when I'm 20, I go down, I re-break my left arm and I almost lose it again. Went Holy 10 cow. months of it hanging by my side, went through seven surgeons who were afraid to touch me. And the reality of it is, is that I got into such a deeply disconnected, lonely, isolated and depressed state in that period. Here's what I learned, the power of our narratives. You see, I went mental toughness, mentality over everything. And I literally created such a strong one that the world bought into mine. I had lots of friends, I had lots of family, nobody was there. And I say that with zero upset feelings towards any of those people because they bought into the narrative I created. Yeah. The part they added to it that I never said is that, oh, by the way, if Brian needs help, he'll ask for it. But in one of my most vulnerable periods in my life, I didn't have the courage to do that. Yeah. So I shifted to this concept of vulnerability and authenticity, like, oh, maybe I can connect through this. But what I want to start with, and again, and we'll go deeper in different areas, is what's interesting is many people, and I, myself included, believed that getting my arm torn off was my transformation story, was the thing that was going to make me who I was, right? It was a mere breaking of a bone when I was 20 that allowed me to see all the trash from my past that I was still carrying and how much I had buried and was still causing me to feel buried in anything I was doing. So when I shifted to who, right, trying to figure out how do I get more connected to people, I didn't have a healthy model for that. I didn't have a healthy model for what human connection and empathy and emotional intelligence could look like. So what I did was followed what the world told me I should follow, which was chasing the house, the car, the money, all the what's of the world. Yep. What house, what car, what amount of money? And I got it all. And then I was 27 and woke up 20 years after my accident and realized that I had all the what's I ever thought I wanted because now I can look back and realize that was just me trying to build a life of significance that somebody might want to hang out with, learn from, be around, be seen, be connected. I was chasing the what when I was still in need of who. And it cost me the ultimate price, which was who I was. So at 27, I began the rebuilding process. I hired my first coach, went into a few different paths. And then there's lots of turning points over the next four to five years that put me on that path that we are on, on today. But I stand here with you 37 years old today, 30 years past the accident. And I am completely aligned as an individual. And I've been identifying and taking out trash from my past regularly and consistently. And the more I do it, the more clear and free I am to want to do it for others. Because life doesn't have to be so damn hard, man. Right. And yet we make it very complicated because of a lot of these subtle narratives we don't even know exist within us. That's amazing. And let's talk a little bit about the coaching that you did. So you said you hired your first coach. I think a lot of people hear that and they think of kind of a cliche, oh, I'm going to get a life coach. And, you know, I know that I've had my own things around that, but I can tell you that any time that I've hired 
whether it's a, a, a business coach, right? I, I invest a lot. I mean, that's, you know, I, I do one-on-one coaching with David Meltzer. I am constantly investing into the business side, but what I don't think people and, and even myself, I'm just finding this out, the personal coaching, the life coaching stuff is not a sham. You know, I mean, of course there's some of them that are not great, but I think that a good life coach can completely transform your life yeah. just like a good friend can, right? So can you yeah. speak to hiring a coach and sort of how that put you on that trajectory? Yeah. Well, and I think that's really, really important too, to pay attention to, like there needs to be relevance, there needs to be credibility, and there needs to be some level of connection and trust with that person. I think I interviewed 15 coaches and it was the 15th that I hired. Wow. And the reason I interviewed 15 coaches is because 14 of them were an inch deep and a mile wide, and they had no relevance or credibility in my life. At the time, we were running about a $12 million business. We ended up growing up to 15 for the next few years before I left, right? Yeah. Like a lot of the coaches I'd talked to hadn't ever made a significant amount of money, hadn't ever built a business in excess of seven figures. And I'm sitting here like, well, okay. And I didn't really know what I needed, right? Like most people, they don't really know what they need. And so you know, I like to kind of find the Swiss army knife of coaches, for lack of a better term, people who have understanding in multiple verticals that you need. Right, right. And, and so I landed with someone a guy by the name of Ben Newman, he's very well known today. And the reality of it is, is I worked with him for about two and a half years, and it was only a month into working with him, that he said, Brian, you gotta be doing this. Now, mind you, I hired him because I was burning the candle at both ends on both sides. And the reason I hired him was because I also woke up and realized that I'd missed the first six months of my kid's life. And perspective hit me between the eyeballs. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm doing everything in the, for the benefit of my family, but I'm not here. I need to get more aware. I need to get more intentional. I need to create a better process to produce as much, but potentially with less input so that I can reallocate to different areas of my life. Now he really helped me start the process of raising my level of awareness. And I believe all coaches have seasons, right? So I was with him for the season that I was meant to be. And he's the one that really pushed me in this space. But I responded to him the first time he said it. And I said, yeah, 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 buddy, I'm paying you a lot of money not to tell me how great I am, but tell me figure out this other stuff. And now you want to add something else. He goes, Bogart, no, like, dude, what you're doing in, in, in business, what you've been doing in your personal life, what you do in the community, what you do with philanthropy. He's like, everybody's coming to you for coaching. Why not create a formal structure to do so? Right. Yeah, yeah whatever. <clears throat> and I didn't listen to him for nine months. And then I got a sign from the universe I couldn't refuse. And that's when I jumped in with both feet. Now, how I started and the shifts to how we are actually moving through the world and helping people today is fundamentally different because when I started my coaching, I was still only on intellectual and mental toughness narratives. Mm. I still hadn't learned the gift because when I shut off physical pain, when it exceeded my ability to cope when I was a little kid, I also shut off emotional pain, spiritual pain, right? But I'd become a practitioner of pain in every direction of life but it allowed me to realize human connection without emotion isn't really human connection. And if I'm only talking to people about what they think, then I'm not really getting them to move because my language at the time didn't support asking someone, how do you feel about that? The world's not taught us how to think and they've certainly not taught us how to feel. And so all I'm trying to get people to do, and it's more complicated than all I'm trying to get people to do, is people to yeah. tap into the intellectual and emotional narratives that go through their life and balance and regulate between the two because they both lie to us. Right. They both tell us the truth. And so how do we get back to the truth of who we are? It requires digging in, in our proverbial can to really figure out what's getting in our way. Right. Now, what would you say the most common struggles people deal with when you when you do coaching with somebody? What are the main core things that you have to sort of help them, for lack of a better term, reprogram? 
Yeah. Um, so I will tell you that I think that the primary emotion that I deal with largely is shame. Shame is the ultimate wolf's in sheep's clothing because it shows up as perfectionism, control, scarcity, abundance, right? Like all of it, fear, guilt, all of it, self-worth. It literally shows up in some form or fashion. What I would tell you is that largely the predominant things that I see, because I work with people who've already had levels of success. I don't typically work with beginning salespeople or brand new entrepreneurs. It's people who have some established level because I'm not one of those that's just going to go inside. Again, I've built, scaled, and sold businesses as well. So I don't believe in balance. I believe in integrating our lives and aligning them to work so that we can fulfill in all the areas we care about. But some of the more common things is I deal with a lot of money scarcity that blocks things from people's lives. Yeah. I deal with a lot of individuals who seek validation and connection through performance. I see a lot of individuals that struggle with a deep level of self-worth that's just been armored for years. And there is a big time fear of judgment in a whole variety of ways. Right. Now, what does that do for people? It limits their ability to lead and create good cultures because their armor is not going to facilitate a vulnerable, open connection with their staff, with their employees, right? It starts impacting their literal primary, most intimate relationship, typically the ones with the kids, yep. right? It'll impact health. And think about it from a lens of trash. We all take out trash in our businesses and houses pretty much every day. Yeah. Because if we don't, what happens? Let's just assume like most houses, there's a major trash can in the kitchen. Okay. Now, if we don't take out the trash every day, we can only push it down so far. But what'll happen is if we stop taking it out, it will overflow and it'll start filling up the kitchen. Meaning we can't get the nutrients we need. We can't get access to the right food and hydration we need. And we don't often get the ability then to communicate in communion and actually break bread with people because our, our kitchen's now filled with trash. Then it's gonna start going down the hallways and impacting and blocking your ability to get to your kids' rooms right? It'll start going for so those of us who have home offices into your business, into your own bedroom. If we don't consistently look to identify and take out the trash in our homes and businesses, we end up buried in it. Yet we don't ever look inside by flipping open the lid and scanning our own can to realize what is it that's actually keeping us stuck because the world's convinced us that we're stuck because we have the wrong strategy and tactics. Right. If I go hire a coach and teach me this system, if I can make X amount of money, if I can just get to this house or have this car or meet this person, then it'll all work out. But how many people end up having these same patterns repeat in their lives and this trash coming back as their fatal flaw? It's the only thing keeping them stuck. And to further define trash, it is tied to your primary emotional triggers, the things that cause you to react. Anything externally that you react to that makes you feel like garbage internally is the first indication that you have and are carrying trash. Now, would you say that most of this comes from childhood, right? Like before the age of, I don't know, seven to 10? I, I would tell you that what I see is 90% is typically in the first seven to 14 years of life. Yeah. That said, I don't want to minimize the fact that things happen that create this later in life, right? There could be a spouse that's been married to an abusive spouse for 10 years. They never had any issues with disconnection, any issues with trauma. But now all of a sudden they have a whole bunch of new trash that came into their world, right? right. It could be somebody who just found out that the, what they thought was their biological father is not actually their biological father when they're in their middle 30s. Now, does that yeah. create a bunch of trash? Yes. Right. And so the majority of the patterning and the deeply ingrained trash is for seven to 14 years. And we can typically see 
the narratives that are written for people intellectually and emotionally based on that period. Now, what shaped later, again, everybody has trauma and everybody has stuff that happens. Would you say that the childhood trauma is the hardest to navigate around? Is that the more cemented versus when something happens when you're 30, you have a little bit more of an emotional IQ that can actually uh, understand. And I just feel like when you're a child and you're learning about the world and you yeah. don't know anything, you know, I mean, your first seven years go by like, like so slow and the next seven years go by faster and faster. So do you think that the childhood trauma is a lot harder to correct? So I actually believe that the childhood trauma is what most people are actually blind to because most wouldn't even identify their experience as trauma. Mm. And so what I would tell you is I don't think it's the hardest to correct. It's the hardest for most people to unpack without a guide yeah. because they don't know where to look or where the patterns were created. But I'll give you a couple of examples of what I mean by that. Okay. I worked with a client who for five years, it took him five years to build his first million dollars in his business. By the way, that's not bad. Five years to a million bucks, many people would be like, awesome, go for it. But he's like, I'm, I'm more capable than this. I know I can do this, I, right? We started to dig in and he was dealing with a deep level of shame that was actually conditioned based on how his father used to hit him and his brother against each other from a competitive nature. And how that not only tapped into his lack of worth, but actually made him feel like he had to compete for everything in every area because he was constantly fighting to be seen and understood and connected. Right. The reality of it is it was simply a dynamic between, it wasn't that his father didn't love him. It wasn't that he didn't coach his own sports. It's that the two of them were from the day they were born conditioned to be compared and competitive with each other. Yeah. Right. There's another version with someone else who literally, we just came into this scenario. Genuinely, they never even understood they were the oldest child and the next two kids that came after them, which were two years and three years respectively, both had different levels of special needs that put, took a ton of attention and focus into those other uh, uh, siblings. Sorry, my, my brain just lapsed for a second. Into the siblings. But what would happen then is now that oldest one is shifted into a position where they need to care and they're not getting the love and connection they needed from their parents because their energy is often focused unintentionally towards where they think it's needed most. Right. That creates patterns around abandonment. And why don't they love me? And what does this mean? And why is everybody judging me? And why did the next person get the job? Like, these things get so deeply ingrained that they create narratives, they create beliefs in, our, in ourselves, and often they're things that 99% people are completely blind to. And so they're the hardest to find, but once we do, they are actually the greatest pieces of trash to unpack because they create the greatest amount of transformation and forward momentum because the way we look at trash is objectively and non-judgmentally. 99% of people's trash is not their fault. Yeah. It becomes their responsibility once they're aware of it. And so when we are able to see like, okay, I have to identify these things because they're keeping me stuck. When we unpack the stuff that's so deeply ingrained that it's impacted so many areas of our life, all of a sudden it's like we have an opening to walk through for the first time in a long time. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you almost unpack this trash from whatever trauma people have been through, and you actually turn it from something that's harming them to something that actually is like a springboard for them to propel themselves off of, because that is the thing that makes them uh, uh, go after life the right. way they do. So, Because the deeper you know, we dig and the more we unpack trash, the more we find the treasure hidden behind it. 
Amazing. So let's talk about your show, Trash Talk. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so this is actually a pilot show. And what we're doing right now with this is we're showing in a 25 to 30 minute episode, how do we quickly help someone identify and take out the trash from their past that's keeping them stuck? So genuinely, people are coming in and typically identifying either their biggest problem in life, in business, or what they're facing. And we start to dig. And we literally start to flip open the lid, see what's risen to the top. And then we start going down in the layers where we need to. So in a matter of 25 to 30 minutes, we typically have some, some version of revelation, awareness, aha, which then gives a pathway for forward movement. This is one of the things that we created to show people what was possible in 25 minutes. This is one of the things we created to be able to give collective wisdom and collective stories because most of our guests have a similar pattern or story to somebody who's watching. Yeah. And so just seeing someone else's experience, seeing where their ahas or the connecting points in their life, relationships and business have been, frees other people. So it's a way to help an individual, but to use their story to amplify how it can broaden people moving through their own trash. Right. So it's been a really fun venture so far. We're going to be doing probably another 20 to 25 episodes of it in the next month, really wow. just focusing on how we get this pilot because we're hoping that this is a show that's going to have a much broader audience than some of our other shows. That's really good. So when it comes to thinking bigger, right, that's, that's the, the name of this show because I think that everybody in the world at some point thinks smaller than they should. So Every time. It looks like your thinking bigger was realizing that it wasn't the money, it wasn't the job, it wasn't these these accolades, it was the family, it was the things that actually matter. Um, when you're thinking about thinking bigger, how do you incorporate that into your coaching? Yeah, um, I love that you and I have this in common because I genuinely think people are only limited based on what they allow themselves to limit themselves on or what they allow the world to limit them on. Yeah. Right now, that doesn't mean that I can do anything for anybody in any situation. But what that means is that I have all these perceived ceilings, blocks or inabilities, just like you do, just like everybody else does. What I find is that most people go about goal setting, forward thinking in a way that inherently protects themselves. So if someone knows that they want to write a million dollars in this business year, th this year, they may say, well, I'm going to write quarter million or half a million because then they can sail it in and not have to stretch themselves. And that's where there is. They know they have to lose 20 pounds. They say, I need to lose 10. But here's the thing. We typically fall to our lowest common denominator. And what I always try to challenge people is if you remove the limits, time, energy, resources, money from anything that you actually wanted, what does that actually look like? Right? And so for me, one of my no limits goals, and it will happen at some point, at least I hope so. I'm going to do everything I can, right? I want to be a New York, New York Times bestselling author. I'm not today. I'm an author in other respects. But the point is, just like Muhammad Ali used to say after the words, I am the greatest, right? He was asked by an interviewer early on. He says, why do you say that? He said, because I know if I say it early enough and often enough that I'll soon to believe it and the world will soon follow. And I believe that this is one of those areas where like he didn't protect himself. He started out as a beginning boxer saying, I'm going to be the greatest that's ever lived. Yeah. There's countless stories of this where people remove the protection and it makes sense. Why do we protect ourselves? We protect ourselves because we're afraid of judgment. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of all these pieces. And in the human experience, what do we want most? To feel safe, to feel protected, to feel seen and understood, and to feel connected, right? Who am I to step out on a successful $15 million business, execute a buy, sell, when I've got everything that everybody's always told me that I wanted? 
and a life to be admired and desired, right? Who am I to shut all that down and say, no, no, I'm gonna, I, have, I have a bigger purpose for my life. Shame kept me stuck on the top side just as much as it did on the lack of worth side because we are constantly trying to protect ourselves from the feedback externally that's gonna make us feel like garbage internally. Right. Yeah, and it's, it's so funny because people think that, you know, you can take two separate people, right? And they can go through the same exact scenario and perspective changes the outcome drastically. So if you have a person who's pessimistic and a person that's optimistic, as they go through life and if they have the same exact situations happen to them, one person sees a car accident as a terrible thing and a horrible thing because they, they lost a leg or whatever, right? And the other person sees it as, as a strength because they were able to overcome and, and handle this challenge head on and move forward. While this person lets that hold them down for the rest of their life, this person uses it as a strength and finds the positive things in it. So if somebody feels like they may be a pessimist, what, what do you tell them? How do you have that conversation to let somebody know, hey, man, your perspective sucks. You need to start looking on the bright side of things. You know, I'm yeah. sure there's a lot more to it in terms of taking out the trash, but how do you there, handle There that? is, and I won't, I won't go super deep, but, you know, I'll just give an example from a conversation the other day, right? Because I think even in that case, it's like the pessimistic side of things is like, oh, our story's not good enough. My experience isn't good enough, right? It's all these narratives that are conditioned. Um, part of the reason I give that qualifier on my story in the beginning is because I can't tell you how many times someone's heard my story or I've talked to them individually and their response was, wow, perspective really makes, it, makes me understand that my trauma wasn't really not that big a deal. Whoa, no, that's not what I want you to hear from my story because your trauma is your trauma, okay? Now, are we perpetuating remaining stuck because of the way we're viewing the world, because of what we're not seeing, because of what we refuse to see, right? So I can literally flip that on somebody's head. And it's like, no, your trauma is your trauma. And I don't have perspective on that. Where right. we can use external perspective is to turn inward. Okay, so for example, and I'm going to use a personal one on this one, just because it's easy and it's hanging there. I remember at seven laying in the hospital bed, starting to feel pessimistic, getting down on myself. Why did this happen to me? What's my life going to look like? What am I going to do? Like, why me? Why me? Why me? Right? Then families from the ICU start coming up to us saying, we're so sorry for what happened to you. We're so sorry. Is there anything we can do to help? And then we find out that their kid is laying in the ICU bed next to me with a terminal illness and doesn't know if they're gonna live for another 30 days. Now that in no way minimizes my trauma. It in no way minimizes my experience. It in no way wreck makes me feel like, oh, I'm not gonna have a big mountain to climb. But what it allowed me to do is center in what I had, which was my life. And so if I had my life, that was a basic point where I could realize that I could learn to not get stuck by the things that had happened to me, but instead get moved by what I can do with them. And so pessimistic is often where people get stuck and why unpacking those childhood things becomes so important. And also why therapy in some cases doesn't help for some people, even though I highly recommend it for most. Yeah. Is that oftentimes people go about self-awareness in a way that just makes them more aware of all the ways they should be judging themselves. Wow. Man, what and you I said want people to extract, not look at why this happened to me, why me, why stuck, but what can I do about it? What did I learn from it? What could I do differently next time? What would I do differently if I had different information? Because what remains future focused 
and objective, non-judgmental. And the only way we shift from pessimism to optimism is if we stop even judging ourselves in the way that we think, feel, and operate. That's incredible. You know, when you had mentioned that the family is coming up to you in the ICU, uh, you know, and they don't know if their child's going to live for 30 days. You know, the, I think that gratitude is so important in any situation because gratitude is like finding light in a dark tunnel. Right. I agree. I, you know, and also understanding perspective, like most of us have it so good, even when we're at our lowest point compared to somebody Me included, else. dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, Everybody. And yeah. you know, when I was in high school, my, one of my best friends, uh, had cystic fibrosis and man, me and this kid were, were glued to the hip. We went everywhere together and he had some other health complications from cystic fibrosis. So he constantly would be coughing up blood, uh, couldn't breathe, was in and out of the hospital, yeah. crazy surgeries all the time. Well, I was a party animal, right? And he, he didn't drink or do anything like that, but he was always partying with us. He was always with us. But I remember one day, and he never judged me, right? Never judged me. But I remember one day, my friend Michael, who had cystic fibrosis, is watching me smoke a cigarette with tobacco, chewing tobacco in my lip, and I'm drinking a beer. We were just like 19-year-old scumbags hanging out at a gas station, right? Thinking yeah. we're cool. And I remember he had there. this. <laughs> yeah, I think we all have. But as I'm sitting here, he had this disgusted look in his eyes. And again, he never judged me. And I kind of looked at him like, what? And he said something that completely changed my life and, and put me on a completely different path. It took time. But he said, you know, I would do anything to have your healthy body because his body was broken, right? His right. body was beaten down by cystic fibrosis and other health issues. And he's looking at me completely just destroying this body that he would die to have. He would do anything to have a healthy body. And I remember that was the only time I ever felt like he judged me. And I don't think it even really made sense right then. But over time, that story kept coming up in my mind. And I realized like, man, even when you think you have it bad, somebody has it so much worse and, and I think that story actually is one of the reasons why I got sober a few months after that, I quit smoking, uh, quit chewing tobacco. And then years later got sober from, from alcohol and, and everything else. But, um, I, I think that perspective and gratitude is so critical in growing and evolving in your life. Do you see that a lot? Agree. Do you yeah, see that I a lot in your agree. coaching? Where perspective and gratitude can actually help someone move. Yeah. Absolutely. I think here's the difference that I want to talk about, even with gratitude, because what I struggle with, with the word gratitude right now is it's become such a bug buzzword. And there are so many people that are just like, choose gratitude. If you just choose gratitude, then you can be grateful. And then you don't have to worry about anything else because you can just choose it. Right. Okay, cool. But what I want to really point out to people is if you choose it, the majority of you are going to choose it and it will be an intellectual only choice. It will never permeate that 18 inch journey from the head to the heart so that you can actually feel gratitude because choosing gratitude can be a way to shift you there. But how do you then further ingrain it so that you exist within gratitude? Because otherwise it's just like every other mental narrative that we create for ourselves. That's ultimately armor and doesn't help us move. But in that moment, what I really centered in was 
I was genuinely, genuinely grateful for my life because I almost lost it. I mean, I could have bled out in the parking lot, right? right? Like multiple situations could have taken my life. Like I was genuinely grateful for my life. It wasn't just a choice. And the thing that I want everyone to hear is just because someone has you feel worse or sorry, just because someone might have it worse than you, I also want you to pay attention to the fact that that is your perspective on what you choose in your position versus theirs. For all you know, they may actually feel like you have it worse and they're using you for perspective. Yeah. So don't minimize your own experience. Again, seek to understand what you can learn from those that are around you and the perspective that you gather. Because the only thing I ask people to say is, what is perspective you pointing me towards? Amazing. Thank you for, for answering that. That's incredible. Brian, where can people learn more about you? My website at brianbogert.com or any social platform. You can find us at at Bogert Brian. We genuinely like to engage. We're on a mission to impact over a billion lives as quickly as possible. And that means that 99.99999% of the people we impact will never pay us a dollar. We're here because we want to make sure that everybody understands what it looks like to identify, take out their trash and deeper connect with themselves, those around them and their businesses in life. And where can people find Trash Talk? Well, right now it's just a pilot show. So it's not being published or, or distributed, but you're going to see a lot of those pieces start being trickled on our site and on all of our socials. So those two places will be the place to keep up with it. We also have our rapid fire live show that you joined us on. And we have a podcast that's going to be launching after the first of the year called Flipping the Lid. I will definitely be having you on that show, my friend. Amazing. Everybody, please go and follow Brian. Brian is incredible at what he does. Brian, thank you so much for coming on, being vulnerable, sharing your story. Can you leave our guest with one last positive message? Yeah. A lot of people are waiting for a hero. They're waiting for a savior. They're waiting for someone to ride in on that big, bright, white horse and save the day. I know it might not sound like a positive note when I say this, but nobody's coming. But here's why it's positive. You are your own hero. You are your own savior. You are your own garbage man. And so instead of putting yourself in a position where you believe that someone else needs to come save you, find a guide or find a path to start walking so that you can write your own journey. You can be your own hero and you no longer need to be stuck from the trash from your past. That gave me chills. Thank you. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, again, everybody, please go follow Brian at uh, brianbogert.com. Find him on social, connect with him. And, uh, you know, if you want to help Brian empower over a billion people, now's a chance. Thanks, thank Brian. You, brother.